Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. First, 2017 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. Welcome to everyone who's joining me over here live at Blog Talk Radio. Just Jean is there in the chat room saying hi. Hi, everybody. Uh, if you go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, you can check out our illustrious title for today's show, Kofefe and the American Sense of Life. That's how I'm pronouncing it, Kofefe. Someone said maybe like cow fever or something. I I don't know how to pronounce this word. Kofefe is, I'm going to just stick with that for the remainder of the show. So Kofefe and the American Sense of Life, we're going to talk about what those two things have to do with each other. There's other stories as well. So like I said, if you go to don'tletitgo.com, you can check out all of the program notes that I've assembled. There's a whole bunch there. And I found out just a little while ago that Sonny Lohman, a wonderful objectivist comedian and friend of mine, I love her, she plans to call into the show today, which I think will be really fun because, of course, today is a day where humor is part of the news. Uh, It's actually part of two big news stories, and we want to compare and contrast the two of them. One is this whole kind of explosion, mostly on Twitter, about Kefefe. Why? Because the whole thing originated on Twitter. It was originated with a tweet that Donald Trump let out there in the middle of the night. And I guess some people are hypothesizing that he must have fallen asleep mid-tweet and that was how we got Kofefe. Um, I was talking to people earlier. I, I have been laughing so much this morning. And I thought, okay, there's hours before the show. So certainly I will stop laughing by the time the show happens. But I apologize. You know, years ago, I haven't talked to you guys about this before. And I only remembered it recently because I went back and visited UCLA recently. Um, 
I actually tried for a short period of time when I was a student at UCLA to be part of an improv group, a comedy improv that used to perform on Friday nights at the Kirkhoff Coffee House, which is there on the UCLA campus. I used to work at the coffee house and I saw them and, oh, that'd be fun. Join. Wasn't, you know, like a big player. It was usually what they would do is they do this bit and it was like an orchestra. So there'd be somebody in the front who would conduct and then we would be given a genre and you'd supposed each of us who were in the orchestra would be given a genre, like our instrument. And there'd be a story. Somebody would start a seed of a story. And then the conductor would point at the individual members of the chorus or orchestra, as you might call it. And when you were pointed at, it was your job to continue the story just spontaneously, whatever you could think of next in the genre you were assigned and I remember liking to be assigned the genre of travel guide. Um, I don't know why. I always, and But the, the biggest problem was, first of all, coming up with something on the spur of the moment that was funny is, is difficult. But second, if you do come up with something good, not to laugh at it while you're delivering it. And it's such a challenge. So anyway, I'm terrible. If I laugh during this show, I apologize. But there's a high likelihood of that because I just found this extremely funny. I was crying laughing. I was crying laughing this morning about this. Um, and I think part of it is because it's just so awesome in terms of American sense of life that this has been going on today. And even Trump himself got in on it. So you have to give him kudos for that. All the collection of tweets, including Trump's tweet from just a little while ago. Uh, actually, it's not just a little while ago. It was pretty early on. He says, who can figure out the true meaning of kofefe in joy? Uh, you know, he knows that part of what Americans are going to do is make fun of their president. So like I said, go to the blog. I'm going to look over here on my switchboard. I think maybe I do have Sunny calling in. I'm going to go ahead and pick up the call and see if that's her. Sunny, is that you? Hello? No, this is not Sunny. Okay, I don't know what time Sunny's going to call in. So that poor person that I just unmuted, luckily you didn't make any noise and I wasn't embarrassing you, but I thought that might have been Sunny. Uh, Sunny, maybe let me know when you're going to call in, send me a message, a tweet, something, so I don't unmute some poor person who's just calling in to listen to the show. If you do want to call in and participate, not only Sunny is invited, you can call in as well, 760 760- Eight 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 one seven. Again, that's seven six zero eight 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 five eight one seven. Otherwise, feel free to participate over here in the chat room. <laughs> Everyone's talking about getting their kofefe. Uh, I'm sorry, this is going to be a hard show for me to deliver. Uh, of course, I started out the chat room by saying, "Hi, I'm off getting some kofefe." And actually, when I first saw kofefe in my Facebook feed this morning, I thought that I thought it might be a Yiddish word for coffee. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know what it was. Um, and then, of course, I had to go and Google and figure it out. And then uh, the hysterics. Uh, yeah, hot buttered coffee. <laughs> oh, no, this is terrible. Okay, I'm going to have to get Sunny on because she's going to have to save me so I don't keep laughing at everything that we're going to be talking about here today. So, Sunny, yeah, if you're listening, do call in whenever you're ready. Let me go back over and 
fill in people who didn't know. Probably if you're listening to the show now, you do know what in the world I'm talking about with this. But New York Times headline, what's a kafefe twump, twump, <laughs> Trump tweet unites a bewildered nation. Say that 12 times fast. Trump tweet unites a bewildered nation. I can't say that 12 times fast. So um, in the middle of the night sometime, he just tweets, you know, and, he, and he's tweeting. He always tweets. And actually, I think if I was really enterprising as someone who would like to be a journalist and commentator, I would stay up and whatever the time is that Trump normally tweets, I would get a jump on that, right? You know, I would look for his tweets. I'd wait for them and then immediately start coming up with whatever clever things I could do as a response. But there's a whole industry of people who do this. They wait. So he's out there, you know, in the middle of the night, he's tweeting. And then the tweet is this, despite the constant negative press, I can't stop laughing. This is so funny. <laughs> okay. <sighs> I'm sorry, people. Okay. Despite the constant negative press, Kafefe. That's what he tweets. <laughs> that's it. It stops. There's nothing. <laughs> so... Sorry. So there's all these people all over the country just confused. They don't know what to make of it. And probably Trump is asleep, right? So here's a president. You know, everyone is like, you know, they're waiting with bated breath. They, What is he going to say next? And what does it mean for national policy and everything? And he just has this, you know, incomplete tweet that ends with Kavefe. So... Um, <laughs> Everyone tries to figure out what to do. So uh, New York Times, of course, joins in and has a great time with this as well. They say, and on the 132nd day, just after midnight, President Trump had at last delivered the nation to something approaching unity in bewilderment of nothing else. The state of our union was kafefe. The trouble began, as it so often does on Twitter, in the early minutes of Wednesday morning. Mr. Trump had something to say, kind of. Despite the constant negative, I'm sorry. I should start the show over. This is terrible. I cannot. I cannot stop laughing. Um, Luke Caperna in the chat room says, "Did anyone check how you spell cafe in Cyrillic? You know, like the Russian alphabet in Cyrillic and the meaning of it in Russian? No, I have not. And I think you should tell us." Please, if you can, that would be wonderful, Luca. Um, I would love to see that. Huh. But I don't think I can deliver it with a straight face. Okay. And it says, and that was that. It was just despite the constant negative press confetti. And they said, and that was that a minute passed, then another, then five. And they say, surely, you know, he's going to delete this message. There's this typo in it. 10 minutes, 20 minutes. It was nearly 1230 a.m., 40 minutes, an hour, the questions mounted. Had the president's lawyers so eager to curb his stream of consciousness missives tackled the commander-in-chief under cover of night? Perhaps some worried aloud Mr. Trump had experienced a medical episode. Ooh, that's true. People could think about that. No one at the White House could immediately be reached for comment. By 1 a.m., the debate had effectively consumed Twitter, or at least a certain segment of the insomniac beltway types, journalists, political operatives. And so, yeah, you know, they have to uh, come up with all of their things. Um, 
one person on Twitter. It's been five minutes. What if this is it? That is his final tweet and the rest of history stops, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So Twitter users writes the New York Times held forth on the former FBI director, James Kefefe. I didn't even see that one before. That's awesome. They pledged to order a grand a Kefefe during their next Starbucks run, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and people are just having the best time with this. Um, people starting to modify the dictionary. And then, of course, I guess that uh, Donald Trump woke up and uh, deleted it. They deleted it after about six hours. But he says he was not done. Who can figure out the true meaning of Kefefe? Enjoy. Um, Beautiful that he did that because that's indeed what Twitter did. I like David Burge, Iowa Hawk blog on Twitter. Uh, His was, I'll have a double ristretto vente half soy nonfat decaf organic pumpkin spice iced vanilla double shot gingerbread Kefefe. That's beautiful. And like I said, it's pretty close to what I first thought it must be. Um, Then Burge sends out the request that somebody rework the famous or infamous coexist bumper sticker that you see on everyone's car. It's got to be Kefefe. And sure enough, somebody complied. And I've got that for you over in the program notes. I have a meme that a friend of mine put on Facebook this morning, huge and the mother of all Kefefe. Uh, and then I couldn't help but join in, and I actually I co-opted the Ayn Rand bot. So you tell me if this is in poor taste, because it is, of course, the Ayn Rand bot. Kefefe is Kefefe. I had, I had a good time with that one. Um, aren't we glad that we settled it, that Kefefe is Kefefe indeed? Um, over on Twitter, what we got here in the chat room, I'm wondering if Lucas got our answer about the the Cyrillic. Uh, Watch this getting added to Webster's. Yeah, I think there's already been some online dictionaries that people have been adding it to. Actually, Waldo, who often calls into the show, he had a little addition very recently out on Facebook. Let me see if I can find it. Said it's been added to a dictionary out there. He says, yeah, Kefefe. When you want to say coverage, and he was, he was probably trying to type news coverage when he fell asleep, but when you try to say coverage, but your hands are too small to hit all the letters on your keyboard, (laughs) that is definitely a good one. Um, Other notable ones, Jimmy Kimmel, he says, what makes me saddest is that I know I'll never write anything funnier than (laughs) Kefefe. And it's probably true. I, some people, I guess, didn't really get the joke that much. I have one friend from Britain on Twitter, and he tends to defend, I mean, not on Twitter, on Facebook, and he tends to defend Trump. And he was in the process of kind of defending Trump and saying he didn't really know what was so funny about it. So maybe it takes Americans to really find this as funny as it is. Uh, Rob Abiera sent this tweet along to me. A woman, I don't know the merits of her tweets otherwise, Imani Gandhi, angry black lady on Twitter. I don't know her. Who is going to be the first Trump supporter to name their baby Kefefe? She says, you know what's going to happen. These folks don't brain so good. Um, Luca Berta says, on Twitter, word has it that Trump will start a new YouTube channel with Kefefe with POTUS. (laughs) That is 
Perfect. Um, there's a periscope with Scott Adams on the Cafefe. Ah, oh, the cartoonist. Cafefe with Scott Adams. That is awesome. Perfect. Perfect, perfect stuff out there. Um, Rob, by the way, I don't know. You sent me. Yeah, you said it's a random tweet that you happened to run across this one. But then I went back to try to find it on my timeline, and it looked like it was deleted or something. Did you delete it, or was, did Facebook have a glitch? Or I don't know. Another one I did, Cafefe or Bust. And often in the morning we feel coffee or bust, so it was a pretty easy one. And then I started thinking about this issue of, you know, Cafefe and, and all of the reaction to it that's out there on Twitter. Just the joyous, gleeful kind of, you know, poking fun at our president that existed out there on Twitter. Not nasty in any way. Really not nasty. It's really just poking fun of him. Uh, you know, he is, there is kind of a downside to policy making via Twitter. And we've talked about that on the show before. But the other thing that I've talked about on the show is that there's a sense in which Donald Trump's mere presence on Twitter and interacting with people via Twitter is evidence of the American sense of life being alive and well. It is Donald Trump, probably not consciously, but, you know, accidentally appealing to the American sense of life. And and what do I mean by that? Those of you who follow the show for a long time know that the show is named after an essay by Ayn Rand called Don't Let It Go. And in the essay, she talks about various aspects or facets of what she calls the American sense of life, this subconscious attitude that this implicit attitude that Americans have about themselves and their relation to the world and to their government and how it's unique, how it's very different from that that Europeans have, or maybe like I said, my friend from England this morning, even the British have. Um, And one of the things about that is that while we do have for our public figures and our politicians, we tend to see them as equals and we feel like we can interact with them as equals. And I've, I've talked about this aspect in various ways. So for example, when the cast of Hamilton used Mike Pence's presence in the audience as an opportunity to say what they thought about Trump's policies or the policies they feared that Trump was, would bring into play Trump and Pence in particular, because, you know, Pence is the one with the real religious, excuse me, religious right policies. Um, I thought it was a, a, you know, a very good example of the American sense of life where you feel like you've got the vice president-elect in the audience. You feel like you can speak to him as a fellow human being and you can just tell him what you think about the policies that you fear they are going to implement in your country. You know, that's one example. And another example is Donald Trump out on Twitter to the extent that All of us on Twitter, you know, we're also on the same platform with him. We have our Twitter account. He has his Twitter account. And we feel like we can interact with him one-on-one as human beings, that we have access, that, you know, we are on a a par with him. We can still respect Donald Trump for whatever he does that's right. You know, some people earlier today were saying, oh, everyone's making all of this as Cafefe. In the meantime, he has done this great thing. He's pulled out of the Paris climate accord. Well, it turns out, yeah, there was a story saying that he's going to pull out, but 
actually, he hasn't made that decision yet. And if you follow his Twitter feed, you can see that he said he's only going to decide in the next few days. Um, but, you know, this, this idea that we can just go out there and interact with him and, and either respect the good things that he does or criticize the bad things that he does or make fun of him when he makes a silly typo, perhaps falling asleep in the middle of the night while he's tweeting. Uh, that's kind of dangerous, the idea of your president sleep tweeting, though, right? So suppose he actually was tweeting while asleep. Uh, there's some things that he says that are sort of ill-advised even while he's awake. If he started tweeting while he was asleep, it could get really dangerous out there. By, by the way, one thing I noticed recently is that he put in at least one tweet that I saw the words, in my opinion, in my opinion, which means maybe he's starting to be a little more guarded about what he tweets, especially the more sort of obnoxious things that he tweets out there that he, he feels like he has to put the words, couch it in the terms, you know, in my opinion. Uh, I've told this story to you guys before, but I taught a legal ethics class. And these are all the rules of the ethics governing attorneys, which may sound oxymoronic to you, but it exists. There are these rules and the attorneys have to obey at least some minimal standards. Otherwise they can be brought up on ethics charges with the state bar and all this kind of stuff. So on a final exam, I created a multiple choice question having to do with an attorney that worked for Trump and the attorney wanted to write a memoir about the work he was doing for Trump and his job for Trump was as gatekeeper for the Twitter account to make sure that Trump didn't tweet something out there that was going to make him incur legal liability. And in, you know, and we professors were such geeks. So we have a great time making up these questions. And so the, the title of the memoir for this attorney working for Trump, you know, the gatekeeper for the tweets, the, the title of the memoir was trash Trump didn't tweet. You know, it's like, as my dad says, you know, that kind of, so this is trash Trump didn't tweet uh, was going to be the title of the memoir. Now I do have another call here on the line and I don't know if this other call is sunny. Um, just be aware if you're online and you're just listening, I'm going to go ahead and pick it up for a second just to test if it's sunny. One sec. Hi, is this sunny? Hi, Amy. I'm just listening. This is John. Oh, okay. Hi, John. You are welcome to yeah, just sit there hi. and listen. And I did warn you at least that I was going to unmute and test to see. Okay. I am waiting for Sunny to call in. Thanks very much, John, for letting me know. You didn't even have to say anything. Your silence would have let me know that you weren't Sunny. But yeah, Sunny, um, I don't know. I need to I need to ping her or something and see. I've got comments coming in in different places on social media. So let me... Uh, we've got other Cafefe. Oh, okay. So Luca has sent me the Cafefe with Scott Adams, uh, the the daily Cafefe. Oh, coffee with Scott Adams. Now it's the Cafefe thing. Okay. Um, I, I this is people are going to have fun with this. I think for a really long time. I really sincerely hope nobody is going to name their baby Cafefe, but you wouldn't be surprised. Somebody will get it tattooed on their body. Um, scary, scary stuff out there. I think I've been through all the examples, right? Um, but the one tweet that I have that I picked up from the Ayn Rand bot, and this goes into the American sense of life issue, is Americans not being cowed 
by authority. The, the fact that we feel like we can go out there on Twitter and make fun of our president for a just totally bizarre, incomprehensible tweet that he sends out there, and that we can all, left, right, libertarian, whatever, have a great time doing this, and that we feel like it's funny, you know, that we get a good laugh out of it and everything, I think this is evidence that the American sense of life is alive and well. Let me read you a little bit from the essay, Don't Let It Go. Rand writes, quote, when Americans feel respect for their public figures, it is the respect of equals. They feel that a government official is a human being just as they are, who has chosen this particular line of work and has earned a certain distinction. We could argue about whether that applies to Trump, right? Uh, Continuing, they call celebrities by their first names. They refer to presidents by their initials like FDR or JFK, not in insolence or egalitarian pretentiousness, but in token of affection. The custom of addressing a person as Air Dr. Dr. Schmidt, for example, would be impossible in America. In in England, the freest country of Europe, the achievement of a scientist, a businessman, or a movie star is not regarded as fully real until he has been clunked on the head with the state sword and declared to be a knight. Right? And then Rand goes on to say, you know, in terms of this, you know, you seeing yourself as equal to a public figure or somebody else who's accomplished the practical consequences that Americans have initiative that they don't see themselves as trapped in what she terms a psychological caste system where you, you know, cannot go outside of your rank in order to criticize or suggest solutions to problems and all of these sorts of things. Clearly though, Trump, this is one good thing you can say about him is that he thinks it's okay for the American people. Now, mind you, the press, the press is not supposed to criticize him. If the press criticizes him, it's fake news. But American people, by and large, I guess he doesn't see them as a threat or whatever. Okay, it's great. People can interact with him out there. One question I have for you guys is, do you think that... Americans left, right, and everybody else, the reason that this was a good-natured humor and ridicule, that the country is kind of united around this and we can just sort of tease our president, that that comes out of the fact that it's just a couple days after the horrible Kathy Griffin stunt that was out there. You guys, I don't know if you're familiar with what Kathy Griffin did, but she put out there a video and I guess she was making a video or something, or was it just a photo shoot? But there's these photos of Kathy Griffin out there holding what looks to be a severed head of our president, Donald Trump. Really, really gruesome, really horrible. I guess she thought it was going to be funny um, and just in super, super poor taste. And so one of the questions that I had was whether – the reason the humor around this Cafefe thing is good natured is because people actually felt bad for Trump being the target of this really horrible, tasteless humor. One question I had. Now, I think I do finally have Sunny on hold here. I'm going to try this one more. Is this Sunny? Yes. Welcome, welcome, Sunny. Hello? Thank you for calling. Yeah. So there were a yeah. couple other people on the switchboard 
And I'm sitting there unmuting them going, is this sunny? Is this sunny? <laughs> These it's poor not, people just want their, they want their privacy. I'm some privacy advocate, and I'm unmuting them when they call in my show. Thankfully, they didn't hang up. They're still listening. So I guess I didn't do any real yeah. harm. How how are you, Sunny? I, I, I'm good. I'm calling in about the Kathy Griffin uh, cafefe. <laughs> I'm going to start using that word as a pun from now on. You know, the you would have been you between Kathy Griffin and Trump. Were you were you were you listening at the beginning of my show? Because you would have cringed. I I can't deliver this stuff without laughing. It's really unprofessional. <laughs> That's why you need a co-host. Then they just they can just continue on. While I'm sitting there laughing, yeah, and mute my microphone. While you're laughing. <laughs> it's fine if your laugh is infectious, right? A lot of comedians do this, by the way. They laugh at their own jokes, and I think it's it can actually make you laugh harder. Um, Dave Chappelle does that. Ricky Gervais okay. does that. So it's so, so it's okay. So plays, there's, uh, there's there's hope for me. Straight. Yeah, there's hope for me. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of comedians, there's one so, in the news right now. Yeah. So Kathy Griffin. So, you know what I was just saying the, the whole cafe just took over everything this morning, but perhaps the reason all of the ridicule that was targeted at, at Trump was really good natured. I, I didn't see it as, as being mean. And part of it is perhaps because people were sympathetic with him for having yeah. been the target of this really in poor taste, so-called humor from Kathy Griffin. Tell me, tell me about what you know, you know about this what, Griffin. What, was was it a video what she was doing, or was it a photo shoot? I saw that there's a it's photo. A photo but was, shoot, I guess. And the photo was—I don't know if it was leaked. I mean, I've I've read that it was leaked. I've read that she released it, but it seems like it came from TMZ, so that seems like a leak. Um, so yeah, it's a, I I don't know how much you said. I was listening, but I can't remember how far you got with this. But she's basically holding Trump's severed head in and looking at the camera kind of seriously and a little bit not, you know, not disgusted, but just kind of straight into the camera. And, you know, she's a comedian and I think it's obviously she's trying to do something, you know, shock, not comedic per se, but um, shocking, maybe shock value comedy kind of thing. So right. I, and then in her apology, so she's issued an apology that was a video and she's just said, you know, she's a comedian. She went too far. That's what comedians do. But she's sorry, and she's she was wrong. She's crossed the line. You know, she went too far. And so that's what she's that's what she's saying. But she has lost no. her job now on CNN, I guess. Yeah, I just I just heard that recently that she did actually lose her job, and you know, who knows whether the fact that she went out there and issued an apology the way that she did kind of opened up herself to, to be fired that way. I don't know how all of these things play out, but CNN did not immediately fire her. They think as far as I know, the news came down only after she had issued the apology, but what, you know, as a comedian, cause you're a comedian, what do you think of this? The fact that she goes out there with this, I mean, is this yeah. something that you could see well, as an honest mistake or, or what? To be honest, I mean, I think I give I would give comedians more latitude here, because um, I, as somebody who tries to write funny jokes, you know that it's I I've said this before it's a knife edge, 
And the, the funny is on that knife edge. And so if you're on one side or the other, if you don't go far enough, it's not going to be as funny. And if you don't, if you go too far, it's not funny. And so comedians often, quote unquote, go too far. And that's the expression. You, you, you definitely say, <laughs> I've said, I've done this many times where I've said something so inappropriate. And when you're a comedian, you're kind of always thinking of funny things all through your day, you kind of have conditioned your brain to think of the funny thing about the thing that's happening. And what's happened to me is like, I've been with friends and I've said something really inappropriate and kind of like not nice, you know, (laughs) and I'm really, Oh my God. And I just realized it after it comes out of my mouth that, okay, that wasn't funny. But if I don't allow myself to do that, then I won't be, I won't ever be funny. So as somebody who does try to be funny, I really don't like that comedians are so, uh, you know, that, that they're taken to task so often for making a tasteless joke or offending somebody. And you, especially lately, there's just this constant desire to make comedians apologize for their jokes, even jokes they told 10 years ago, or, you know, like in the case of Amy Schumer, she had this, by the way, really funny joke about, um, a Mexican boyfriend, you know, and mm-hmm. like seven years ago, that was a joke she told, and it was really funny, and she had to apologize for it last year. So, wow. And she did. You know, she just immediately did and said she'd grown and, you know, that she doesn't do that kind of humor anymore. And by the way, she's not as funny now as she used to be. So I see, I, I just saw her latest special. I don't know if anyone did, but she has lost some of her humor because she's probably trying to be too much of an SJW and she's just right and she's she's probably she's probably constantly editing herself in her mind right and there's no way there's no way if you're constantly editing yourself whether you're trying to be humorous or just you know right about anything yeah you constantly edit yourself it's 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 gonna be that's right and, and in comedy, the line is a, the, when you cross it, you offend. I mean, period. That is, that is crossing the line because when it's funny is when you're almost being offensive, but not quite. And so especially a certain kind of humor. I mean, and even somebody like Seinfeld who tells jokes about Pop-Tarts and, you know, everyday observational humor won't, won't do shows on college campuses because they can't take the jokes. And, I mean, if you can't, if you get offended at a Seinfeld joke, I mean, there's just nothing. He's not an insult comic like Kathy Griffin is. He's not, he doesn't, he's made his name for himself being funny about nothing, as he says. And, um, and he can't even go do shows on college campuses. So this is a horrible trend in comedy. And especially if you're going to do political humor, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're going to offend half the world potentially. And that's really hard to do to not offend half, half the, so, half so of in, the United in, States. So in general, you're, you're sympathetic to Griffin because yeah, she right. is an insult comic. And in general, all comedians have to sort of ride that knife edge. And if you just yeah. go a little bit over, then suddenly you're going into the offensive, but Right. What do you say, because, I mean, well, there has been a little discussion of this out there. Some people say, well, the particular way that this got released shows that it wasn't just, you know, like, because there are people who they tweet all the time 
And so then suddenly they've tweeted out something that for the moment they thought was funny. And then two minutes later, they realize it's offensive and they take it down two minutes later. But by then, you know, everyone's already screen grabbed it or done whatever that they've done. <laughs> but but this is not one of those situations, right? So this is, you know, they had to premeditate. They had to make this disgusting looking Trump head. They had yeah. to plan that they thought this would be a funny, right? right? And then they send it out and there. there and there she is sitting there with yeah. the severed bloody head of the president of the United States. And she's still like, yeah, this is great. This is going to be great. Yes. Um, yeah. I, as a friend of mine said, it's psychotic or, you know, it's, it, it's so, yes. Yeah, so I wanted to first say I'm really sympathetic to comedians and I would definitely give them a lot more room than other people because it's, they're not trying to write a, an essay on ethics. Like, you know, they're trying to make a joke. And if you don't allow yourself to screw up, you're never, you're going to lose your ability to be funny. However, so what's interesting about this is we've, is what's happening on the left. And did she take it too far? Where's the knife edge? The left has lost their mind. You know, they don't, they're not, riding that knife edge like she maybe just went over but madonna just said let's blow up the white house and you know you have this string of just emotional white hot hatred for trump and she probably thought she was right in line with that maybe a little beyond that because you know they're just trying to outdo themselves in their hatred for this guy and you know the left and they think that's okay to express this stuff and she just took it one step further, and I think one step further than than other people have already taken it. I mean, she just provided a visual. People have threatened to punch him, to kill him. To, didn't uh, Snoop Dogg, like, shoot him in a video? Um, well, and Madonna I just said thought, I, saw the White story, House. I saw a story a while ago that some people showed up at one of the Trump properties with guns and everything else, and it seemed like a threatening situation. Well, and... And uh, let's not forget that the hatred of Trump is really the hatred of the people who voted for him, too, by extension. Mm -hmm. And so you have people um, saying by, you know, that it's okay to, quote unquote, punch a Nazi, meaning anyone who voted for Trump and or or is on his side about anything. Even you don't even have to have voted for him. If you defend him in any way, you're a Nazi Um, and you deserve to be punched. And so the whole left has been advocating violence against people who disagree with them. That is, that is becoming normal in, on the left. Yeah. And so did she take it too far? She took it just slightly farther than the last guy. And I think the difference here, the reason it's really bad is that it evokes ISIS. You know, exactly. Just, exactly. Nobody else yeah. cutting off heads right now. You, besides. you and you and you and I were talking about that earlier, and then uh, Luca Berta is over here in the chat room. Thanks for listening, by the way, Luca. Uh, he says, "Yeah, being offensive is one thing." He says, "Doing exactly what the animals at ISIS are doing yes. against a regularly elected U.S. president is not exactly the same thing." So this is beyond offensive. It is beyond. And in today's context, it's really, um, it's almost an endorsement of our enemy. You know, our enemy that just slaughtered girls at a concert in Manchester. Um, You know, it's so awful what Mm -hmm. she's done. And it is a, it is advocating the murder of the president. Um, 
you know, it's, I don't want to use their terms, but it's normalizing it or um, desensitizing people to it. It's making violence against people who disagree with you. Okay. They've given up reason and now it's violence and they're, they are definitely becoming more and more accepting of that. And this is how, this is how concentration camps happen. I mean, I hate to use the Hitler thing, but this is how these atrocities and these things in history where we go, oh, my God, how could anybody? They just hate and they want to silence however they need to. And it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And I think this is just, you know, thankfully, I guess, uh, even people on her side are kind of appalled. But I see this as just one step beyond what I've already seen. I've seen people get punched at a Trump rally, people who didn't, so, you know, so, were just there to gather and, and voice their support, and they got hit with a bike lock in the head or something. I mean, that's right. happening and, in our country. Well, and then and then now, right, we've got the Portland mayor, and this is a story. Right. I, actually, no, I don't think I got this story from you. I think I got it from uh, someone else on, on Facebook. We, but I think I mentioned it to you earlier, you, but yes. The, 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 the Portland, Portland mayor, mayor decides that he's going to shut down any sort of a yeah. pro-Trump free speech rally, any sort of an anti-Sharia rally. He wants the feds to pull the permits on these yeah. demonstrations. And, you know, it's because they do have this hatred and they do believe that force is an appropriate response to shut this down. Now, he's got the excuse that there was a violent yeah. psycho who stabbed a couple people in Portland. So that's his pretext for doing this. But... <laughs> you know, what, what, what's your opinion about that? Because he says, look, you know, in, in the wake of these horrible murders that this really, you know, hate-filled guy committed, right? Because, you know, he's spewing a bunch of hatred against these two Muslim women. We don't know these two Muslim women, whether they're just victims of their culture like so many of them are or anything else. But he uses, you know, he's spewing all this horrible vitriol at them. And then these men come up to try to intervene and he stabs them to death, two of them fatally. And right. you know, now now the mayor says, "Look, our community is raw, and so therefore we're going to shut down free speech." Ugh, whatever. He just doesn't like Trump, and it's not like that has anything to do with Trump. Like you know, the guy who did the stabbing wasn't even a Trump supporter. But even if he were, I mean, that's not what the rally is about. And um, you know, I'm not clear on what the rally is about. I haven't researched the. As I understand, it, one of what there's, I understand, there's two. A, yeah, there's two rallies. One of them is an anti-Sharia rally. Yeah, the other one's um, a free speech rally or something. Yes, exactly. So these are these are just these are just like tea partiers, basically. I think, and um, you know that kind of group, um, activists on the right, and he just you know he doesn't he doesn't like it. So he's going to use the excuse of, I think his other excuse is that um, it'll stir up trouble, you know, because the anti, the counter protesters will go and, and then there'll be violence, but that's what his job is. His job is to protect people's free speech and right. mayor, you know, get you, get mm-hmm. the police out. This is your job. Oh, you know, I can't do my job. And so we're going to just shut it down. But, you know, he's uh Whatever he's the truth is, is that he just doesn't want them to be able to have their rally because he doesn't agree with them. Yep, and and the reason that 
he feels more justified is part of, you know, the whole left's idea that they can use force to shut down freedom yes, of expression. Exactly. One thing yeah, that I they've shared created in a the... culture where force is okay against people who disagree with you. They've stopped discussing. They've stopped trying to understand any other point of view, or they don't even understand our point. You know, our point of view. Um, they just call us names, and um, so. Yeah, and I, I've, I've talked in the past about the reason why people have gotten themselves into this idea that the rational discourse amongst people who disagree, that that's no longer a possibility, that instead what we're justified in doing is, is using force to, to stop people from expressing opinions with which you disagree. And it turns out that the social media bubbles that are created by somebody like Zuckerberg on Facebook, I think that they've actually played into it. And this is something that I think that Zuckerberg realizes and he's been agonizing about it. There was a big old think piece by the New York times recently about, um, you know, can Facebook cure its big bug, you know, the big glitch that it's got in there. And the big glitch as as the New York times thought is that Facebook has allowed a whole bunch of like-minded people to form their own little communities, right? God so people forbid. All, yeah, <laughs> right? What um, is wrong with that? I mean, you know, Facebook, you're supposed to meet, you know, get in touch with your friends and family and hang out with them and, and find out what they're doing and stay in touch. I mean, I don't, like, why does everything well, have okay, to but, be perfect? But, but, but here, but here, there is there is an element of the the idea that we we go online, right? We're not going out in the world. If you go out in the world and you're limited to people who are only nearby to you geographically, the chance that you're going to find so many like-minded people surrounding you is, is pretty slim. And so you're going to have to kind of bump up against all of these people that you disagree with and have presumably civil discussions about disagreements and things. And now what do people do? People don't really talk with you know, actual human beings out in the real world, they go online and then they find only the like-minded people and they interact with only the like-minded people and they get out of the habit of having these discussions about ideas with those that they disagree with. So there is an element of, you know, if you just only lock yourself up in the bubble and you don't realize that rational discourse is a requirement of, of, civil human interaction, if you have the wrong ideas, then you're going to get into this, you know, this mode of thinking that violence is an appropriate response to those opinions just, that you just, I just don't, I don't see this as a social media problem. I mean, I, I, I see no, no, I don't, I don't either. I don't either, but you could see how yeah. it happens. Right. So I, obviously I disagree. Yeah, sure. I don't think, that, I'm, I'm I don't sure think it's I'm a bug a of Facebook at all. I think we, you know, we should all yeah. use our freedom of association with whatever tools I, are available. And yeah. I mean, I'm definitely in a bubble and it, I have this, you know, I have like a handful of, you know, what I would say friends on the left that are vocal about it. I probably there are a number of Democrats, but they just don't, you know, they're family and friends from the past and they don't really talk about it vocally. It's not, they're not active in politics or whatever, but some are. And sometimes I cringe and it's hard to see that stuff. And um, especially when they, when they share occupied Democrat memes and things like that. Right. But, 
um, you know, I'm, but everybody else, it's not even just on the right, like as an objectivist, like I have so many objectivist friends. So there's that bubble too. But, you know, the, the reason that people are turning to violence or don't think they have to discuss anything is, you know, first of all, do you think the left even has any more arguments for what politically, I mean, that there's no, there are no arguments left for socialism mm-hmm. or, right. or communism. I mean, it's just com- the, the left is bankrupt intellectually and the professors are the ones teaching their students that, there's no dissent. No dissent is, is, you know, okay. And the campuses are, have turned into these places where if you're on the right and you're a student, you keep your mouth shut. And I've even felt that in workplaces where it seemed to me, especially like after, I remember after George Bush was elected, it seemed like people on the left became really bold and hating him and, you know, and just being really vocal about environmentalism to the point that I thought, I mean, why aren't they like we're at work and don't they realize I could I might disagree with them and yet we still have to work together and they're being so righteous about it. And so, you know, like this is the only opinion. And Mm -hmm. I got this impression that they don't even know that there are other opinions out there and that they they might actually be talking to somebody who holds one. And um, I don't know. I'm not saying it doesn't exist on the right too for sure i think there are people who are really angry on the right but i see the sort of shutting down of debate definitely more coming from the left and it seems more coming from the universities and what they're creating right because it's it's a self-reinforcing environment i i shared on the program notes the video from jordan peterson that you had put out there yeah uh, the the 10 minutes or so on postmodernism and how postmodernism Such a good contributes video. to this. It's it, yeah, it's really good, um, and we could quibble a little bit. I had a bit of a quibble with his use of the term responsibility, which to me sort of connotes this idea of duty. And at the same, you know, he he holds what I think are often contradictory ideas. He's kind of you know he's a kind of pragmatist at root, m- metaphysically. And so for him to be such a wonderful, articulate advocate for individualism and, you know, uh, kind of better, more what we would call sometimes conservative values out there in academia, you know, he is, he's, he's yeah. really, really good sometimes. But every so often there's a use of a term or something that gets me, but no, but he helps to explain what's going on. One of the things that, that struck me there, and this is something that's been going on on campus, there are all these professors these are tenured professors on our college campuses being funded, so many of them, with our tax dollars, right? Um, their whole careers are funded with our tax dollars. He said, in this statistic he gave, 80% of the humanities articles are never cited by any other writer, any other person. <laughs> 80%. So what happens yeah. basically? So they're just writing they, a bunch of junk. They they write a bunch of junk. And of course, um, there was that funny thing that was recently about the conceptual penis or whatever. Um, did you see that one? No. Somebody, yeah. Oh, God, I have to send that to you. You will love it. Um, somebody made up a total nonsense article 
and got it placed in some online journal of gender studies that was supposedly peer reviewed or I mean it's and it was just complete nonsense. It was basically <laughs> if 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 you if you make so they fun, punked the they punked the academic journal. Yes, and, I mean this is this has happened before. Pieces. This has happened before, but this time okay. it's it's you know basically it's it's anti man you know the the male gender, and as long as you're mm. anti male gender and you're publishing in gender yeah. studies, then you're you know you're pretty much golden. So yeah. In, in any event, there's there's that. But, you know, he was saying that nobody cites this stuff, that it's really a joke. Our tax dollars are paying for their careers. And what happens is they get, you know, their articles placed in these journals. Nobody ever reads these articles. The journals get published. The libraries at the universities are forced to buy them. And so it's mm-hmm. this whole self-reinforcing little cottage industry that they've got going that entrenches these leftist Academics, and I don't want to say liberal, really hardcore leftist radicals, right? Yes, and and yeah. these people are not providing scholarship that anybody else is finding a value. So, for example, I have just like no academic career really to speak of, but my articles have been cited and quoted by other people. Why? Because I actually provided yeah. some semi-useful stuff out there. Some people have read and cited <laughs> my work, but. of the work in the humanities is apparently never cited by anybody else. That's ridiculous that our tax money. As a comparison, it's like if I made YouTube videos and nobody watched them and I've had like, you know, I've got hundreds of YouTube videos and no one's ever watched them. Yeah. And and you just say, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm published. (laughs) And not only that, you're you're supposed to be exalted and respected. And, and, you know, and imagine parents, right? Parents scrimp and save to send yeah. their children off to be oh, indoctrinated. Expensive. Not only that, yeah. but kids get out of college with a mortgage payment in debt for a non-education from these yahoos. Yeah, and we are funding it. It's terrible. I feel like we're, you know, we are funding our destruction. It's terrible to think of that. And, you know, some of the some of the departments or agencies that, Trump is talking about eliminating I think that's really good because that's where we start pulling the money back even if it's not really it's not going to make a huge dent you know people say oh who cares it doesn't make a dent in the um in the budget we really have to go after social security and medicare medicaid yes but it will make a dent in the culture because a lot of these agencies like the endowment for the arts and stuff they really are out there just promoting a leftist agenda Yes. It's propaganda. You know, this made me think of, and I, I've been talking about it on, on my show recently. What was, it, what would it mean to shrug today, right? And I've been, of course, in the work on the Atlas Shrug script, been revisiting some of the part three discussions from the Valley of, you know, what they've all pledged to buy, you know, what sort of life they've pledged to live. And one of the things that they did is they said, out in the real world or the real world, the outside world, we're going to take the lowest job we can find. You know, we're not going to earn anything more than is required for our basic subsistence. And I was questioning that, you know, because if you are going to at the same time participate in your chosen profession, you need to have enough time to do that, right? I take hours 
preparing for this show and everything here and then deliver the show and the energy that required, I get tired after. So, you know, there's a lot of time commitment to do something that is your chosen profession that you love, that you think you're providing value. And you can't necessarily be a burger flipper at McDonald's and be able to do this at the same time when you hear examples like what Peterson tells you that 80% of these, you know, the articles that these guys write are worthless. They're indoctrinating our kids using our tax money. That leans you the other way where you say, well, maybe I do need to be the burger flipper at McDonald's because I don't want to contribute to that. Right. Um, you know, wh- where yeah, do you... I don't know. I, I think it'd be better to, what are you going to do? Just live a life then as a burger flipper because the left is there. I mean, I think we fight. I think, you, you know, you earn money and you take your money and you fight with it. Um, and with your time and energy, that's what I want to do. And um, maybe we'll go down with the ship, but I'm not going to go down flipping burgers. You know, there's an article, New York Times, actually published it that I liked recently and I've shared it in the program notes and the title of it is in praise of lost causes. And (laughs) did you see that one? I don't know. I I don't know if you saw saw the title, but yes, yes. Now, I mean, in the context of what we're talking about, yes, I don't think it's a lost cause either, but you know, even if it is, I'm going to stand for something. There is no gold sculpt. There's just no, there's no gold sculpt. If there were a country to go to or something, I mean, I might be considering that. But, um, you know, I'm I just going to fight. What else can you do? And I think if you give up and you don't, you know, I, a lot of people just try to ignore politics and what's happening in the culture and they just want to, have their job, maybe it's unrelated, they're in technology or something like that. And maybe they do well or whatever, but I think that's a mistake. I think I think everyone who knows what's going on and can identify what's going on and cares should fight it on, in some way and pay attention to what's going on. And then, and if you're fighting it, you don't feel so bad about it. It doesn't make you feel so bad. So you have to do something if you're going to pay attention to it. And then, um, yeah, I, I mean, you can't, it's not going to go away and you're just surrendering the world to them. It's like your show is called don't let it go. And, and, right. to me, that's and, exactly and, and like I said, you know, do. today, today, the whole Cafefe thing was a reinforcement and evidence that the American sense of life is alive and well out there that people were doing this, whether the tone of it was just more positive and jovial because everyone felt bad for Trump in the wake of the Kathy Griffin thing. I, I don't know, but you know, you and I were talking about this earlier. I think it was typos. It was funny. (laughs) You know, it's just, it happens to everybody. And that was a particularly funny one because it was completely nonsensical and we all, but we all knew what he meant and it was hilarious. Plus he's, he's a president who tweets, which is weird and hilarious in and of itself. So yeah, I think yeah. it's really good natured. I think it. I think it's a positive. I'm. I think it's. I think it's fun, for sure. And no, in, in a way, I definitely like it. One uh, quotation I wanted to pull out of this New York Times piece about you know again, uh, in praise of lost causes, 
I'll give you the author's name in a second when I scroll back up. Uh, but he or she writes, we may not be able to improve the world, right? Because again, if, it, if it's a truly a lost cause, we don't know. We may not be able to improve the world, but we can at least refuse to cooperate with a corrupt one, right? And the particular concrete causes that the author of this piece was in favor of are not mine. They were talking about windmills and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's Mariana Alessandri writing for the New York Times. You know, this idea of cooperation, we are, through our tax dollars, funding these entrenched liberals at the university. And these are the people who are advocating the ideas that justify the use of force to shut down freedom of expression on our campuses. This is something that your tax dollars are funding. And so you could say, okay, I'm going to earn a lot of money and I'm going to give a lot of money, say, to the Ayn Rand Institute or to Amy Show, yeah. um, you know, to Sunny. Give it to Sunny, right? Um, you, do you have to go? Let me know if you have to go at any point. No. Sunny, I, what I'm just, okay. <laughs> that was my baby I, running in there. I know. I heard, I no, heard in, the, but... in the background. But let me know. I understand. Um, but, you know, we're funding this and we're being compelled, to, you know, to, to the extent that you earn a decent living, you're being compelled to contribute a significant chunk of that income to these entrenched leftists. And and even from a strategy standpoint, I actually think, I mean, just talking about political strategy, I actually think this is a good place to start. You can't get people to give up Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, and now obviously Obamacare, which is just devastating to me. But the, uh, but, you probably could fight the battle and get, you know, PBS unfunded or NPR unfunded. I mean, these are kind of things you could probably win. And, and if you won those battles, if you could, or, or defund, you know, I think I heard some varying viewpoints on whether or not we should defund Berkeley. Hell yes, we should defund Berkeley. And maybe it's a, it's a double standard, but I would I would go for right. defunding the college campuses before PBS yeah. and NPR. PBS and NPR sometimes yeah. provide oh. something decent and balanced compared to college campuses. They're really slanted too, and I agree with you. I mean, I'm actually a fan. I think they could survive without the government. Both sure, those, exactly. Uh, organizations, um, but our tax dollars shouldn't go to it. And if they did 100% have to put out content paid for by members, you know, they might have to become a little more balanced. So people like you and me who enjoy, you know, I like, wait, wait, don't tell me. <laughs> I like the This American Life. I like to get my news there some, sometimes because you get a well-rounded, um, a, you know, balance of, of viewpoints. Yeah, Fox but, News has its problems now. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. They have since before the primary. But the... Um, but yeah, I mean, these are battles I think we could win, and they're, it's wrong to make people fund fund ideas. And so you could really make this argument. You could probably defund universities because they're so obviously slanted now, and defund the arts and defund all of this this indoctrination that's going on in the country. So you could make these are battles we could maybe win, and if we could win those, then once we have you know, the next generation back, uh, you might be able to now convince them with reason because now they might be a little more capable of it. 
Um, and the, and culturally wouldn't have such, it just feels like such a huge, everybody's in favor of hating Trump and hating the right. And not that I'm not a big fan of Trump, but right. what we were talking about with Kathy Griffin and just the violence that seems to be okay just because Trump won the election, that's just so unacceptable. I mean, he's, he's not our God and he's not our King. He's our president and he's limited. The front, the front line right now is freedom of expression because if we aren't yeah. able to continue to express our views, then we're not going to be able to do anything. If you thinking about changing the culture or just right. You know, talking to your fellow man in, in a peaceful way. So that would be the first, but I, I do think that the environment on college campuses is contributing to that. So anything that we can do to contribute to the battle for freedom of expression and particularly on college campuses is good. I still like Milo. People will tease me because I, I too. But he, he, he gave a good speech just the other day in, in New York City, about 15 minutes or so in favor of freedom of expression. And notably, he was at one of these rallies where uh, Pamela Geller and I probably Robert Spencer and other people like that were speaking. And they were saying that this, uh, who is this woman? Um, Bar four or something. I can't remember what her name is, but she's been, she's a, a Muslim and has been trying to shut down freedom of expression. And he was saying that even she oh, should be Linda allowed. Sarsour? Sarsour, Sarsour, sorry. I can't remember these oh, people. She's They're, evil. Oh my she's God. Hor- she's horrible. She's the worst. But he was, he was saying, look, even she should be able to express her view, and he was explaining why. Um, now, obviously, if she's committing incitement to violence, I would disagree with him, and I hope he has a principled stand of that. But short of you know her actually inciting violence, yeah, I agree with him. Let her spew her vile ideas and yeah. let people answer them, and let's demonstrate In some ways, it's what, good. You know, you have somebody like her coming along. She's so much more in your face what she is than than the last guy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the, the left is starting to lose their reasonable people, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, they're starting to become so bad that they're losing people. So there there seems to be room for a freedom, more of a classical liberal movement. Well, that um, is if... Yeah. That is if it doesn't descend into violence, as some people are predicting that all we've got ahead yeah. of us right now is violent clash in the streets and that there's no retreat from that trend in, in a certain way. So that's really the that's the front line is to preserve the ability to disagree in our culture, on the streets, yeah. everywhere, uh, preserve the ability of our journalists to criticize our president, because that's part of this as well. That's, I mean, to to me, the front line. I was going to follow up with you on something that you said. You said, you know, there's no more arguments for socialism out there, that they're all gone. And, in fact, I I think I saw that there's more demonstrations and government using force against the demonstrations in Venezuela right now. So there's a pretty graphic <laughs> illust, illustration yeah. of, of what you know, people are starving and, and they're out there engaging in protest against the government that's yeah. making them starve. And they're being... It, you know, tamp down for it. But the the question I had for you was about a story that you posted. It's Mark Zuckerberg, right? Zuckerberg is going to come out there and give what <laughs> he thinks is a new argument for socialism. 
right? He's calling for a universal basic income. Everybody should get a universal basic income so that they can be creative and that they can supposedly come up with the idea for the next Facebook. The next or what, Facebook. Mm-hmm. And, and so his new argument is because of technology, right? So in the past, yeah, maybe socialism failed in the past, but now socialism is really necessary because technology and automation is going to destroy everyone's jobs. And therefore, if you can't have a job, you can't have an income. And so everybody should get a universal basic income. We're in a different world now because of me, Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs and all of these other people and automation. Automation makes socialism plausible in a way that it hasn't before. What do you think of that argument? (laughs) So automation makes socialism possible. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, we're more advanced now than we were and Venezuela is <laughs> screwed in the same way that the USSR was screwed. It's just always the same ending, always the same because it's, it is just, it's a philosophy. It's at its core is redistribution of wealth, which is just violence. It's stealing from people. End of story. You're going to end up with what you end up with. And that's, people who are really good at stealing rise to the top and you know because people are always like well it's you know these bad actors who end up running the country and they're dictators and it's unfortunate but that's what you get when you set up a system where the best thieves win and that's socialism so i i just uh if he wants to pay for it i'm fine with it <laughs> i'll take it well and, universal and basic again income. you know the whole then the whole check, basic premises yeah, the the whole premise is if he wants to voluntarily give his money away, that's his yeah, choice. Yeah, do it. If if he thinks he's got a moral duty to do it, then I would he's like to have a debate with him about that. He's sitting there on his billions. He's sitting there on his billions. He's not saying, "Hey, I'm going to be a perfect example. I'm going to I'm going to go give a universal basic income to a hundred people." I'm going to go do. Right. I'm going to grant that to a hundred people. And see, you know, in, kids in their twenties and see what happens. See, you know who who can invent the next Facebook. He, he does. He but does give away quite a bit of money. He said, he's saying, "I'm going to vote for to take your money to provide it." You know, that's so moral of him. What a great guy! And apparently, there's rumors he's running for president. Which, to me, if you ever thought of anything really having life imitate 1984, it would be Mark Zuckerberg as president because. It's especially Big Brother, is it not? Yeah. I'm actually, you know, if it wasn't for that I used Facebook for work, I, I, after seeing that article, I thought, this just makes me want to get off of this thing. I, I just think he's horrible. And, you know, the censoring we know is going on and, you know, we can't really prove it, but there's been um, people have tracked different things and tried to show that they've lost a lot of, um, clicks compared to other sites that are left leaning, and and then just the thing like you know obvious things not violating community standards and other things that shouldn't violate you know like you said crit, you can't criticize Islam but you can show a severed head of the president <laughs> it's like right um so yeah he's pretty bad I I don't I hope he does run I think he's kind of a weasel 
I don't think he comes across well, you know. I think he should run. <laughs> That's why I, I, I don't know the perfect candidate. I, I don't know that he's ex- I don't know that he's exactly a weasel, right? But he is, you know. First of all, he's the head of Facebook, and Facebook just has so much power in terms of ability to influence the culture. So, you know, the New York Times they had for quite a while on their front pages all of this you know, all these articles talking about the Trump business interests and how the Trump business interests create these horrible conflicts. Sometimes they'd have a headline. It would just be, you know, so-and-so Trump relative has X amount of money and that's it. You know, they're, they're really rich. And so therefore you should be against them. You know, so it's all about their business interests and how the business interests create these conflicts of interest and that they shouldn't be allowed to have so much power in government. Right. So, if you could think of one person in the world who's got the biggest conflict of interest in the entire world, and they, I mean, he shouldn't be in politics at all. It's Mark yeah, Zuckerberg. George Washington should never have been president because he was one of the wealthiest Americans. I mean, with, with business right. interests. Right. But um, honestly, Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg has tremendous influence right. over the culture via Facebook. Yes, he does. And access and, to information on everybody, like almost to the level of NSA, you know, just a more lot. So, a more lot so, because, more so because, you know, there's a lot of stuff about us that Facebook doesn't turn over to NSA, you know, decides not to. So here's this guy. And the question would be, would the New York Times expose that conflict the way that they do for Trump? Probably not. Why? Because... Zuckerberg's for universal basic income and everybody, you know, he's, he's the new socialist poster boy. Well, moreover, what about, you know, Trump has not actually committed a crime of corruption yet. I mean, unless you count that we know been on the other side of those deals in New York or what, you know, that he's been on the bribing side. Um, And that's despicable, but as a politician, he has not, he has not gotten, you know, that we know of so far, and I'm sure the media would let us know if it's happening. Well, they're Meanwhile, still, they're still Hillary, investigating the whole thing with Russia. And, and do you, you don't find the thing with Russia at all concerning? I'm waiting for them to have a piece of evidence about it. I, I just don't think nothing that I've heard sounds bad. I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to, you know, they're running with the story that it's a done deal that it's obvious and I don't think there's any, I don't, if there had been any evidence, we'd have seen it. Um, We'll see what happens with the investigation, I guess. But the other day I saw this headline, Jared Kushner met with Mm -hmm. a Russian uh, ambassador, I guess. No, a banker in his office. um, As if that's all that he, all that anyone has to say to, to, uh, you know, indict the guy. So it's not, you know, and and again, you know, the, some of the things, obviously in so far as we would be getting inappropriately entangled with the Russian government in doing things that are against America's foreign policy interests and stuff, but the business deals, if there's any conflicts of interest with business, the only reason that there's a conflict is because our government has too much power. And that's the route that, Everybody right. should be going after anyway. Um, well, and but you know, there's so much evidence 
remember the credit card scandal that the Congress was like passing laws and, and invest they were all of these members of Congress had stock in something. I, don't, I can't even remember exactly what it was. Is that the consumer credit but, bureau that supposedly protects all of us and stuff? Is that the thing? No, it was, it was related to credit cards and how they function. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember that Nancy Pelosi was you know, there was really suspicious, like she had stock in this, you know, there were a bunch of Mm -hmm. Democrats who had stock in companies and they were passing laws that were favorable to those companies. And it was pretty obvious (laughs) corruption and it went nowhere, you know, and then you have Hillary Clinton and her obvious corruption with the Clinton foundation, Mm -hmm. the million dollar speeches, right. You know, and the the access given timing, the access as when she was in state department for donors that the Huma Abedin emails that suggested this, you know, yeah. that's out there. There's evidence of corruption and the left is worried about Trump and there's so far no evidence yet. I mean, he hasn't been in office long enough. He may very well become, yeah. you know, commit crimes or whatever. And that's fine. Then let's, let's, you know, go after him then, but he hasn't yet. This is, this is why, really the thing that I try to do all the time is focus on the explicit policies that Trump is doing. So for example, his trip to the Middle East, why in the world are we having these arms deals with Saudi Arabia when Saudi Arabia had been shown in the 28 redacted pages of the 9-11 report to actually, um, you know, be involved with 9-11, you know, be a state sponsor of 9-11. So that's the kind of things that I would like to focus on more, whether his policies are actually in the interest of the United States. Is he actually going to withdraw from this Paris Accord? People threw this rumor out there this morning as if it's a done deal that he's decided to withdraw from the Paris Accord. And he tweets out there, no, he, he hasn't that yet. from so. Reuters? Oh, yeah. Okay. I got it, it. Somebody leaked it out to Reuters and everyone's been running with it. But sure enough, Trump tweeted out that he has not decided yet. He says, I will be announcing my decision on the Paris Accord over the next few days and make America great again. Whatever in the world that's supposed to mean is that, you know, everybody's going to sit there and try to read it like tea leaves and predict one way or the other. It's quite possible that he's not going to withdraw from the Paris Accord and he's going to rationalize that as part of a larger deal, it's okay to continue to sell us into slavery to the God of the environment or or whatever it is that is happening there. Um, But one thing I, I wanted to follow up on, we never did, and I it's my fault because I'm the host and I went on our tangents. Back on the Kathy Griffin story, you know, this idea of appropriate and inappropriate humor, you, I assume, would be in favor of her apologizing for what she did, yes? Yeah, yeah, I think that needed to happen. She did, she did really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then what but about CNN firing, what about CNN firing her? What about CNN firing her? Yeah, I think her? that was good. I think okay. it shows really bad judgment, I, you know, and, and almost like what you can't see that this has gone too far, I, you know, that, but on the other hand, I, you know, like I was saying, I think it's horrible, but I also think that it's not very far off from what we've already seen. So I, I can understand why she probably thought it, it, it was just enough further that it it would be shocking which is exactly the kind of thing she's going for as a comedian um and kind of a provocateur 
Um, but um, and so she had to go there in order to to get to the next level because right. other people have already practically gone there. Um, so um, in some ways, she's just being part of her group in doing this. But yeah, it's it's too much. It shows really poor judgment to to an extreme. I mean, I don't think anybody should be suggesting that the president be beheaded ISIS style in a photograph or even verbally. So, and you had said it might even be seen as a a crime in a way, like an incitement, right? I think it, I, yeah, I think it's definitely an, and is it an encouragement? Yes, I think it is. Yeah. It's an expression of, I hate, I hate this man who, by the way, is like, left of center. <laughs> I hate this man and it's okay to suggest that he should be beheaded in a gruesome death. It's okay to suggest that. And it's okay to punch a Nazi. I mean, it's all the same thing. I do think it's bad. Yeah. I think it's really bad. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really sure on the, I'm no lawyer. I don't know the laws about um, what kind of threats against the president that you can make, but it, it could even be illegal. It seems pretty extreme to me. I mean, in in the sense that she is a known comedian and she's clearly doing it in a way that she thinks it's funny and it's a joke. She's not serious about it. But to the extent that kind of people become desensitized to this sort of humor and they have, they accept that this sort of stuff is out there in, in the culture, it is sanctioning potentially the yeah. attitudes of those people who think that it, that would be worse than that, isn't it? I mean, it's worse than sanctioning because it's actually suggesting it. I mean, it's, it's a picture so, of killing so, the president so, brutally. It's a picture of that. That's not even sanctioned. She's the first one saying, Hey, how about this? You know, <laughs> I mean, and, and in part, do you think maybe, it, you think the, the reason that something like this would occur to her as something that she thinks is funny is because she, in her mind, has unconsciously absorbed the postmodern philosophers that Peterson is talking about, right? The, the philosophers who believe that an appropriate response to these ideas that they see as racist or, you know, um, hate-filled or however they describe it, that an appropriate response is violence. And so therefore, Mm -hmm. suddenly that sort of joke seems funny to her, whereas it's not going to be to us because we don't accept that. We say, okay, you know, even if you and I were talking earlier about uh, Giffords, right? She's a congresswoman who had been, um, you know, been uh, shot Shot. by somebody. Shot in the head. Shot in the head by an event. To me, it was in completely poor taste to make any sort of a comment about, oh, yeah, she had horrible ideas, so therefore, yeah, somehow this is okay, or let's make a, a joke or light of it. That would never a- occur to me as a, as a possibility. Yeah, and I can honestly say if that were Hillary's head, I would feel just, I would feel awful about it. I, it would not mm-hmm. be okay. I would never do it myself. I would mm-hmm. never participate in that photo shoot and go, oh, yeah, that'll be funny. <laughs> you know, it's and it's uh, yeah, it's so gruesome and horrifying. And and of course, as we said, because of the ISIS 
you know, the, connection. the obvious yeah, connection to um, to ISIS and other um, evil barbarians in the world trying to kill Westerners. So, yeah, I think I think it's really a nonpartisan kind of thing. It's it is. I don't think it's okay to be violent against my ideological enemies yet. You know, they haven't so far. Um, I think that, you know, the, the thing that's going to have, you mentioned street, the street fighting, someone predicting that this is going to turn into some, some street chaos. And, you know, there's been a lot of intelligent commentary about this saying that in Mm. effect, this is where we're going, that we're inevitably going in this. I mean, we've seen it happening already, but that it's going to just get worse. Well, what hasn't happened yet is that the right hasn't really fought back. And that's going you know, to happen at some point, especially with these people like these Antifa people who attack every rally. Um, they're going to show up one time and the Trump people are going to be armed. And I don't mean with guns, but I mean they're going to be ready for them and right. it's going to end up being a huge brawl. And then the other element that has been missing so far, which maybe, you know, again, this is one of the front lines of the battle, is to go to the authorities on these campuses and call them to task for not imposing consequences on the students who initiate force. So, for example, one great thing that the Ayn Rand Institute did recently when there was an event at the UCLA Law School, right, they pointed out that there were these students and everybody else that came up and actually physically knocked books off of a table. Now it sounds small, right? But in in my view, any initiation of force in order to shut down speech is inappropriate. You know, it's one thing to get up and boo one time during somebody's talk. It's another thing entirely to sit there and continually disrupt somebody's speech, for example, that by then you are trespassing your exceeding your your license of being there um same with going up to somebody they've got a whole bunch of books displayed on a table they're offering the books either for sale or distributing and they want people to read these books and you think you're entitled to go up there and just physically knock them off all of this is wrong all the campus administrators need to get firmly behind the idea that initiation of force to stop speech is wrong and they need to actually impose consequences, not just on campuses. You can have local police forces and everything still the same. And right now, it seems that everyone is pulling their punches when it comes to shutting down this, these leftists. And I would like to see... Which is another reason to defund universities, I guess, cause, or, or any university that won't... Um, mm-hmm. won't uh, Enforced I don't know what human the word rights, is. basically. Enforced free speech yeah, won't, won't yeah, protect rights. doesn't get any more money, like period. Yeah. And um, there has to be consequences because these, why should these leftist administrators who, or maybe they're just pragmatists, you know, and, and they're being led by the nose, by the cultural, you know, their campuses are so thoroughly leftist and their faculty and staff. Um, did you see this evergreen thing that happened recently where, the evergreen campus, the students basically took over the whole campus for days. <laughs> no. One mob of like a hundred people. No. Um, maybe it was more than that, but it happened because it's a small college and um, they 
has a tradition on campus called the day of absence where people of color didn't show up. And, and the idea is from, I guess, a play where in this small town, all of the black people don't show up to show how much, how much they, um, uh, what big value they were to the town and the town kind of went through chaos the day that they didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a play from the seventies. And so this day of absence has been going on on this college campus since the seventies. But this year the organizers decided that the day of absence would mean that white people shouldn't show up. So okay. it was, it was reversed where instead of we're going to leave, it was no white people can't come to school today. And this professor said, oh, okay, wait a sec. No, <laughs> that's not a day of absence is great. And this guy's a progressive. He's like, you know, I, this day of absence is good, but, um, but no, this is, you can't, you, people you can't have a right this. to exist and they have a right to, you know, all the students have a right to be here and you can't reverse this. And so then he of course was attacked and his life was in danger. Like they actually shuttled him out with security and they said that wow. they were worried about his safety and, um, I heard him say that the campus had been taken over by the students. There's all this video online of them. They had a meeting with the president, and yeah, they were just you know, glaring at the guy. And we're we're I'm going to actually have to cut this short uh, because the show's just about over. But Luca oh. Burton, Luca Burton in the chat room is also talking about Dave Rubin interviewed uh, someone from Evergreen um, State in Washington, um, and that you could hear more about this. It's probably well. a professor. So yeah. I've, I've only got a minute. So, Sunny, where can people find you? Well, they can find me at houseofsunny.tv. That's my website. And okay. I'm on I'm on Facebook at Sunny Loman. At Sunny Loman. Okay, so they can follow you there yeah. as well. I'm going to urge everybody to go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and check out the program notes that I did not get to. I got, I got the most everything, but Sunny, you as well might find a a couple cool things there, but thank you for the stuff that you contributed and thank you yeah. for calling yeah, in thanks today. For having me. It was I, always, fun. I always love talking to you. So we'll chat again and um, Sounds good. you take care. I look forward to getting you back on the video screen and stuff as, as well. Yeah. We'll be doing some stuff soon. Okay. You take care. All right. We'll thanks soon. Amy. Take okay, care. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. So like I said, go to, don'tletitgo.com. If you want to check it out, you can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, everywhere else. I will be back here next week again, Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Pacific. Until then, take care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.